Rugger Matrix is brought to you by Strike. Check out their new fleet tracking system. It will save you hundreds of dollars a month. Go to strike.com.au. Proud sponsors of Rugger Matrix International. Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix International and we're back in Sydney and we've got a special guest with me today and let's not mess around any further, introduce him, Justin Harrison. Cool. Great to see you, mate. You too. You too. <laughs> um, 2001. We can't talk about 2001 without talking about the hero of the third test, and we're heading into it. How does that sit with you? you, you, you the moment of the, the test match where the British and Irish Lions were pushing, if they'd won the final line out, there's no doubt they would have scored. Um, but you decided to contest it. 12 years on, you're still talking about it? Absolutely. Haven't stopped. <laughs> if anyone, you know, anyone's forgotten, feel free to remind me and I'll remind them about the story. Hero sits very well with me. But look, the, you know, the line-out was all about making sure that I was completing my job. You know, in a second row, I was got to do that. So very lucky that it worked. Um, you know, nostalgia and selective memory have allowed me to get a lot better than I was. So uh, that's one of the moments where I actually contributed. Uh, well, 12 years later, the Lions series is as big as ever. Um, you were in Melbourne. Uh, after coming back from France, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, what were the feelings like? Uh, look, I, I didn't, you know, I was part of the squad in 2001, didn't get to go to Brisbane and Melbourne. I, I got shipped off back to Clubland to, to, to having completed my duties as a tackle, tackling bag during the week. So I didn't get to go to Melbourne or Brisbane. So to experience the atmosphere down in Melbourne was fantastic. Um, you know, and particularly what, what will be a lasting memory of mine is the amount of people that were there having been avid fans of AFL and Aussie rules. You know, a lot of people that, that were drawn to the occasion on the back of, of, of the occasion. So for me, I think it's very pleasing, you know, Australian rugby and the brand of Australian rugby is very strong at the moment. Well, it's amazing. Uh, 12 years ago, we needed Joe Roth to turn the series and he did it with a wonderful intercept. I remember going in the box and Rod McQueen said, could you put a couple of lines together about my pending retirement? And then uh, halfway through the game, Ewan McKenzie says, yeah, I reckon we can win this. And then Rod said, yeah, I reckon we can win this. And then Glenn Ellis said, yeah, I think we could win this. And we did win it. And then famously, um, we went to Sydney and, and played in that third test. Tell me about the moment, and uh, I was there in the management team, but uh, tell me about the moment when you were asked to uh, fill in uh, David Giffen's shoes. It was quite quite surreal, really, and, uh, and obscure. I, I suppose most people find out, most players are given a, a phone call from the coach or, or an appointment uh, and told that they'll play in, in, in a test at least in a week, a week in mm. advance. I actually didn't find out until Thursday, and David Giffen was ruled out through a medical uh, reasons with his hamstring. And it was late, um, late on Thursday that uh, he came to my room to tell me. So Giff was actually the first bloke to tell me I'd be playing my third test, my first test, which is the third British and Irish Lions test. And after that, there was a series of phone calls and scurrying around and, and Rod McQueen called me to his room, to his, to his palatial presidential suite upstairs. Yes, as he did. Yeah, across the marble floor <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and was seated and, and he was told that I was gonna play on, on the Saturday night, you know, and, uh, one of the most difficult things was that he would he told me to not tell anyone about it because he figured that it was some sort of tactical advantage or well that's what I considered I thought mm. that I'd be used as some sort of secret weapon unveiled at the last <laughs> minute to unsettle the British and Irish lines but in hindsight I, as a coach now I think it was probably because he was worried that they would target me as being being a novice so I prefer the, the previous explanation. Uh, and the funny thing is that the captain's run that day went for about an hour and Rod McQueen coached the captain's run. I don't think I saw him do that at all in my time in the Wallabies. And uh, I think you're all pretty tired at the end of it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was yeah, we, listen, we were all under a lot of pressure and, and Rod 
you know, more so than others, I suppose, that none of us had a real idea that he was going to retire immediately after the series. Mm -hmm. And he, of course, had made that decision. So, you know, it's pleasing. Rod McQueen uh, is synonymous with Australian rugby success. And, uh, and, you know, I'm pleased that in some small way I played a role in, in continuing the myth of the Rod McQueen legend. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, he's a, he's, a, he's a good coach and he's a, he's a, a good ambassador for Australian rugby. All right, Justin. So uh, before we talk a bit more about your heroics on that night, uh, that wonderful night in 2001, and we've been seeing a lot of replays recently, uh, James Hallwell, what about the emotions he must have been feeling? Uh, he escaped suspension and then to go through that whole rigmarole again where mm. the IRB said we'll have another hearing and he got let off again. Uh, fair disruption, but uh, the emotions for a guy who's very emotional, and you were emotional when you played too, yeah, certainly um, it was disappointing to see the process uh, that he had to undergo. Um, you know, you would expect being proven not guilty already and having no case to answer that you can then concentrate on your profession. Um, you know, every athlete on the field is doing the best he can and some players push the boundaries of the, of the, of the game and the law, but Jimmy Hall is certainly a player who plays well within the, the rules of the game and he's very aggressive um, and he's a great leader and talisman for Australia. You know, it was disappointing. But in a weird sort of way, it's, I think I feel that it's galvanised the team around him. You know, pressure has a, has a habit of doing two things. It separates and divides in, a, in, a, in a, an unhealthy environment or it galvanises and produces performances. And I feel that uh, we're going to see the latter on, on the weekend because of that process. All right, well, let's just to quickly hear from uh, James Hall and uh, Robbie Deans after that decision. I love what I do. And it means uh, a hell of a lot to me to, to represent my country and, and, and not only to represent it, but the opportunity to lead it in what is probably arguably the, the biggest game in this country since the Rugby World Cup final in 2003. So uh, I'm very excited at that opportunity and you know, um, now we can, as I said before, focus on you know, the game and, and that's what's important. And what's the stain on your courage that's important thing as well? Yeah, I feel very vindicated by the, by the, the way it's, uh, it's gone. Uh, it's certainly, from the group's perspective, they'll be uh, stoked to have James back you know he's right at the heart of what we do and you, you've seen what it means to him and that um, <coughs> that flows on to the group so it's good to have him have him out there with us so James Horwell Robbie Deans on uh, him or the Australian captain uh, being free to play this weekend it would have been a devastating blow for Australia could they have won the game uh, without James Horwell this weekend Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we, Australian rugby is in a position now where we have reasonable depth, uh, and players have been exposed to high-pressure situations before. And you know, the uncertainty of uh, of James Horwell's absence, I'm sure, would have galvanised the players again. You know, I think that the, the, they've been through a difficult period of inconsistency in performance. You know, and what, many would argue that the first two tests, that the worst teams have won the match mm. uh, on the night. Yes. So you know, I feel that um, that sort of consistency. An inconsistency of performance will be arrested in the, in the third test. You know, Jimmy Horwell, of course, is an addition and a huge asset, uh, but there are many other players in that squad that are capable of rising to the occasion. All right, so Ewan McKenzie talked about to me before the first test that he thought the most impressive player in the whole Lions outfit was Paul O'Connell. Firstly, do you agree, and is it a devastating blow that he's not playing in these last two tests? Look, he's a loss. There's no question he's a loss. Devastation's, you know, probably a, probably a, uh, an alarmist point of view. But certainly, you know, he's a talent. In a squad, in a difficult tour, in a, in a strange environment for a lot, lengthy period of time, you need talisman and you need players who are able to um, 
gather players around them and give them the serenity and, and focus that, the, that is required. Senior players, without a doubt, give, give that. Uh, and that's the reason why possibly I was able to extend my career a lot longer than it should have been. For some reason, people thought that I was we a, started a deserved member. I started, started late, late, so I finished late. <laughs> um, but he's, he's a loss, without a doubt. You know, whether, whether he was, he, look, he didn't participate in the Six Nations, so he wasn't the best performed second rower in the competition mm. from the Northern Hemisphere. Importantly, he was part of the group to, to give some guidance. You know, I think that he's done that role. Yeah. Now, it wasn't just about playing performance. You know, Jeff Parling is, a, is an outstanding second rower, and Alvin Jones. You know, there's some great players that are there to take his role, and they've still got uh, Brian O'Driscoll, who's uh, the talisman of the, of the entire Northern Hemisphere, it seems. Tactically, and you're a coach now. You're, I've got to say you're a coach when you played, actually. An outstanding coach. A outstanding. You were an outstanding coach when you played, mate. Had <laughs> <laughs> to do uh, something. Wasn't yeah. a great player. <laughs> but, uh, Justin, your assessment of the two coaching teams and how they've matched up against each other, who's had the edge in the first test uh, tactically and also the second? Well, it's, look, it's no question that the British and Irish Lions um, you know, and Northern Hemisphere sides uh, without a doubt will come to Australia or play against Australian opposition in any part of the world and target the set piece, you know, the scrum and the line out, the, the competitive, the combative nature of the type five is, is usually where Northern Hemisphere sides look to gain ascendancy and dominance consistently. Mm. You know, I think um, from that point of view, the British and Irish lines have been a little disappointing. You know, I don't think that uh, within themselves they've, they're satisfied with their scrum performances. Uh, certainly, we saw elements of their mauling ability in Melbourne. You know, it was certainly a, they were rewarded a couple of times with some significant penalties and territorial advantages. Um, so I think that they're looking to strengthen that. And Warren Gatlin is a player, is a, is a coach who is used to a combative style of game with the Welsh. You know, and he coached them to a significant victory against England. So his pressure and handling of players and man management is clearly successful. Conversely, Robbie Deans, you know, tactically he's trying to select the best players in the country. Now, many would argue that possibly is not the, the best tactic to employ, given that, that some of the combinations are a little bit questionable. Yes, yes. Uh, but he's managing a group of players who are young and enthusiastic, and, and some of them are novices to the international arena, on the, and on the back of athletic ability, are looking to put together performances. The challenge for him will be making sure that it gets cohesion. Uh, and I think that this week they will, have to, they will have spent a lot of time on their starter players, what they're doing off, off, off scrum and line out because it looks like it's an area that we've got parity and in fact sometimes advantage. Spoke to Ben Alexander for the match program and uh, you know, he's done really well at tight head. Have you been impressed with him because he's been thrown about both sides of the scrum but he's done a really good job up there. He has, he has. He's, he should be um, you know, commended for his, for his his, uh, his ability, you know, when he made the decision to move to tight head, well, I was a member of the coaching staff at the Brumbies mm. uh, for a blink of an eyelid, but he <laughs> was, uh, he, was he, he made the decision and, and, you know, against advice from many people around him, listen, you should, you know, so he's made that choice and done, done reasonably well, you know, and importantly, the transition across to the tight head um, brings with it a whole different focus and the style of game that you can play as well. Ben, ben Alexander likes to Score run the try. ball and score tries <laughs> yeah, and all yeah. sorts of things. So he's had to play a bit tighter on the back of that. Uh, so tactically, um, I've been reading some of the press in the UK since Saturday and uh, they've been hammered tactically up front and uh, they should have made a replacement earlier than they did. But they did do a pretty good job, the Australian scrum. Andrew Blade's involved and he's a very astute uh, scrummaging coach and a great scrummager in his time. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a boost for Australian 
front row, tight five work, that they were able to pull one over the British and Irish lines. Yeah, it's, you know, it's significant. You or know. at least a half, anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. Look, for me, being overseas now and being part of a foreign environment, Northern Hemisphere and in Europe, you know, the brand of Australian rugby for a long time has been regarded as having, we've, tactically, we were always very strong and yeah. astute. Uh, athletically, we were, we were competitive, but not physically dominant. Um, and our, our um, intellectual property when approaching test matches and pressure situations always normally, uh, you know, most of the time, gained ascendancy. Now, at the moment, we, we, are, we are a team that's being recognised for being combative, combative in most of the areas that we need to be without being dominant. You know? So that sort of consistency of performance is what we're looking for. Andrew Blades is certainly contributing to the, the rhetoric of giving the Australian scrum some substance and backbone. And, and in the end, look, coaches, one thing I've learned about coaching is that you know, I can do the, the best job possible and sometimes my best is not the best. You know, it's not good enough. Sometimes someone's best is not good enough. But as a coach, you, you can, I can ensure that a team can lose that I'm coaching by, by preparing them poorly, by overtraining them, by doing the things wrong. I can put together the best program uh, for a week to give the players the best opportunity to win a game. They can still lose that match. So it very much, it's very much about making sure the ingredients are there to provide the players with the best opportunity. Andrew Blades, Nick Scrivener, Robbie Deans, these people are providing these players with the best opportunity and on the night it's going to be up to them, of course. But it actually starts one step further, and that's at the selection table. So we've already touched on, and uh, I'm, I'm one who believes that James O'Connor should not be playing 10. I don't think he should be playing anywhere closer than 14, 11, and 15, actually. And um, I think KB, Curtly Beal's a better option at 10, even though he's coming back. And even Christian Liliofano moving in. He'd be, under Stephen Larkham, he's become a great player, and a good emerging coach is a guy like Stephen Larkham, who was without peer as a, as a 10. So... Maybe selections are where it all starts, mate. Absolutely. Selections are, are, are a beast that need to be wrestled with rather than, than taken casually. And certainly um, Robbie's uh, no doubt wrestling some demons with those selections. There's, there's clearly been uh, issues outside performance alone that have, that have negated, quote, Cooper's selection. Yeah. Uh, and look, I've got to agree with it. You know, if you take a stand against someone who describes the Australian environment as toxic, then he needs to be made an But example. he's been punished, Justin. And well, he said he's... Has he? Well, well, he copped a sixty thousand dollar fine. He was suspended. I mean, if he misses, when he's copped if he misses public, the yeah. British and Irish lines too, he will, he will yeah. have been punished. Yeah. But look, if you if you want to pick the best ten in the country on performance alone, yeah. it's Quade Cooper. Yeah. Uh, if you want to stick with someone who um, shows areas of promise, and um, but then the the count is a combination that as well that, too. That, that O'Connor and and Curtly certainly yeah. were outside of. Uh, Discipline when they got up to a few things in Melbourne. So who knows? You know, look, it's yeah. a difficult beast to wrestle, but uh, all yeah. we can hope for is that Australia win. Uh, you're very careful these days, Justin. I've, got to be. <laughs> I've been in too much trouble. Um, well, mate, um, I haven't got you for a long time, but I want to quickly um, get a couple of things from you. Your prediction for the third test, it's going to be a packed out ANZ Stadium. Uh, the Australians, you know, you get the feeling that momentum's behind them, don't you? And, and, and you know, although James O'Connor, I don't think, set the world on fire at 10, he'll be better for it for the weekend. And I think um, both Curley and he dipped a bit on Saturday, but they'll, they'll lift for this game. Uh, but the changes are going to be important too for the British and Irish Lions. They'll, they'll come to play on Saturday night. It's, going, it's up there with the game in 20, uh, mm. 2001, isn't it? 
terms well, of absolutely. The you know, the, the history and anecdotally, it's come down to the to the third and deciding test, which is fantastic for the brand of rugby in the world. But you know, the British and Irish Lions will be looking to play a game of percentages. They need to get dominance in the scrum, make sure they're securing lineout. This lineout has not has been inconsistent. You know, it's been disruptive. They haven't had clean possession. You know, conversely, Australia, we're looking to have the combinations um, working well. You know. Uh, whether James O'Connor was running an incorrect line or Israel Folau was out of position remains to be seen. There's, some, there's certainly not the cohesion in the back line that we've come to expect from an Australian outfit, um, and there's no doubt that they will have addressed that this week. So, you know, for us, gaining uh, parity and, uh, and ascendancy and line-out and, and scrum, it, it, we need to give our backs the best platform to perform, you know, and I think that you know, no, there's no question in Melbourne that we lost the breakdown area. You know, we, we were be well beaten. So Sam Warburton's uh, exclusion from the game in this third test could be pivotal for us. And I'd really like to see George Smith uh, part of the group. Yeah, it looks so, like he's going to miss out as well. Yeah, which I, which I think's um, yeah. pretty, pretty silly. Uh, I agree. Uh, <laughs> if you want someone to have your back in those dying moments, George Smith, I mean, you've got no doubt, you've seen him, that he is as good as he's ever been um, in terms of physicality because he just seems to be impervious to damage. Yeah, absolutely. And it, look, when you're selecting teams, it's about being fair on the back of performance. So George Smith has performed, uh, the, the, was the best seven in Super Rugby when he came back here. Michael Hooper's a good player, Liam Gill are good players, but Michael Hooper's been put under enormous pressure in this series, and he's not as effective as George Smith at the breakdown. Simple as that. Uh, and what else does George bring to you? Because uh, he's an experienced player. Well, he's another talisman, yeah. he's another galvaniser, he's calm. Uh, you know, he, he, he's a player that, that through, through actions and, and, and focus uh, can bring people up a level rather than descend to theirs. And it's important to have those players in huge games like this. Yeah, and it's going to come down to the moment. And the moment you had 12 years ago was contesting a line-out, which, um, you know, I guess logic would have said defend. In your words, how did it, how did it all transpire? Because it's a good to read, but I'd like to hear you um, talk um, about it. Well, the logic for me was that, you know, defending them all's a lot harder than taking the ball off them so they can't start one. So that was my goal and my focus. And leading into the series, I'd had a little bit of success as a defensive line-out um, player against Australia A and Gosford and the Brumbies. Um, and it just made sense to me to try and contest the ball. Of course, you know, there was the risk of them winning and, and setting a, a maul on its way. Um, but it was, a, I suppose, um, an opportunity for me to try and influence the result of the game or at least contribute to the performance. You know. I, one of my fears was taking a jersey and filling space and never being seen again. So the first test for me was about doing the best I could and that, and that was part of my job description, you know, disrupting line out and doing the best I could. So, you know, when we arrived there at the touch, uh, Michael Foley was in front of me and Roddy Moore was behind me and Kef was in the five metre channel. I remember saying, look, I'm going to have a go at this. And uh, I think they were a little bit surprised, but luckily for me, you know, the two unsung, unsung heroes are this uh, Michael Foley and, and Maury who, who actually got me off the ground because I can't jump out of bed, let alone contest the line out more than six inches above my head. So they need to be given due recognition, but I'm happy to take all the limelight. How good was the lift? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty ordinary, but it was just <laughs> enough. You know, look, there's a combination, there's so many different moving parts yeah. in a line out. So I was very lucky. There's another line out after that, in fact. So. You know, we still had some time to lose the match, and um, the boys, uh, my teammates at the time, 
did well to, to defend and, and we ended up winning. So oh, great celebrations, I remember after that. Oh, and Finnegan in particular, mm. who's still celebrating, by the way, on the seat. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped. Uh, when you sit back 12 years ago, and I know you don't want to be always remembered for one thing, but it, it's not a bad thing to be remembered for. <laughs> <laughs> look, it's, it's better than them rolling over and scoring the The wrong fly. thing, yeah, sure. Look, um, one of the things about it is that a lot of people have said to me, you know, um, what did you do after that? Uh, so... <laughs> As in, where did you go? And I said, well, I stayed in Australia for another four years and played 30-odd more tests. But um, look, it's not a, to be remembered for something that was positive rather than negative is what someone, every professional sportsman hopes to achieve. Well, I, this one anyway, I can't speak for everyone. So I'm glad that I was able to contribute to Australian rugby in a significant period of Australian rugby. So. Well, you not only contributed to that, you contributed to the Brumbies for a long time and then after giving it to the Waratahs for so long, Sacrilege, you joined the Waratahs and I worked with you there as well and that was we, a great and time. And we didn't lose to the Rumbies. No, so exactly. Beat them twice. So and, yeah. uh, you, know, you know, I used to love, you know, and I know you've been sort of cautious, cautious today about a few things, but I loved when um, Owen Finnegan said, we're going to come up to New South Wales and put 50 on the Waratahs. And you know what? Came up to New South Wales and you put 50 on the Waratahs in that semi-final. Yeah. You know, um, you know, yeah. you actually show a bit of confidence and, and head into the game. Yeah, look, there was, they were heady times and, and sort of, um, utopian times for us, you know, mm. Rumbies, we had luckily probably 14 or 15 of the world's best players at the time, you know, any of those players that I was playing with luckily were able to walk into a world, genuine world 15 mm. side and dominate, you know, so the, the era of the timing for me was fantastic to be associated with those players. And the other part of it was we were confident because we, we prepared well, I knew that we were the best prepared side more often than not when we took the field. And, and, you know, the rest was up to luck or misfortune or, or conditions if we did lose, but not through lack of preparation. Uh, and, of course, then um, oh, you finished up here and went overseas. Now, you're with Narbon, and you you were lacing up the boots as late as last year. As late as January this year. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah look, at, I went there, um, relocated the family to the south of France um, to, to give ourselves a, a bit of a different perspective on life. And, and as a new father, that's all my focus yeah. is now about providing for my two boys and uh, and my wife, um, and the job luckily came along through through an Australian investment group and interest uh, in R Racing Club Narbon became an opportunity for me. I'm now the head coach there, and um, you know that presents all sorts of lovely challenges and and, and um, I guess moments of achievement for me to concentrate on. Having you know, I had to come out of retirement to play just because we had a few injuries and not the budget to pay anyone other than me nothing. Uh, <laughs> But uh, look, it's it's a fantastic uh, environment to be in. Very passionate about rugby, this this you know language that we region, um, and uh, you know for my coaching, it's fantastic because you know I respond to simple, clear messages as a player and as a coach now. Learning a new language as well, it's de it's redefining my message and making sure that it's short and sharp. Will you will you come back and coach in Australia? Hopefully. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. It would be it would be an, an unusual set of circumstances that would see me come back here. Long term, who knows? Look, yeah. I, I can't predict. You Still know, a young fella. Three or four years ago, I wouldn't have said you know I'd be living in the south of France yeah. and learning French. So, who knows? But the south of France has been a welcoming country for me, giving me many opportunities. Yeah, many Australians over there too. You know, Matt Giddo, obviously involved with Toulon, and and many many others. The Jaguar up there, and <laughs> Drew Mitchell's heading yeah. over, and. I'm sure Adam Ashley will follow him when he's finished cashing in on his notoriety here <laughs> and his ordinary beard. Yes, a very ordinary Patchy beard. Patchy <laughs> beard. Uh, and mate, just a final word of advice for Australia. You took a risk in the final moments this weekend. What do you? What do you? What do they should be deep, digging deep for in their 
in their rugby souls on Saturday night. Well, hopefully, don't let it get to that position. Be well ahead before the end of the before the last dying stages of the match. What if they find themselves protecting a lead like they did the other night, and it was only a couple of minutes, and they almost lost it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, that you know, Australian rugby and Australian athletes are always our best when we're in pressure situations, and we we attack. You know, we we need to play. Um, you know, it's it's captain obvious, but we need to be aggressive and combative and uh, and fearless. You know, and, and I think that. In, in Sydney, um, in Brisbane, we were fearless because it was the first test and we, were, we, we played well. In the second test, we were fearful of the result. We were worried about what if, what if we lose, it's all over. You know, the third test presents a huge opportunity for us to make sure that we are dominant because you know, we, have a, we have a side now that's, that's three tests older, or second tests older, two tests of experience having played together, which is important to note. You know, the British and Irish Lions have played a number of games leading into this. So there's inconsistencies that will be ironed out, just like the, the 2001 squad did. And the third test, I think, will be their best performance. Well, Justin Harrison, we could speak forever, but we can't. Uh, just a quick reminder, make sure you get your match programs here, uh, put together by the great Mark Cashman. Get the programs. Yes, exactly. The Q&As are fantastic. In-depth, some surprises, some probing <laughs> questions. They've got it's got everything. Ben Alexander's the guy we speak to this week. And no sealed section. Though, uh, so. No, no. They're, they're, well, actually, that's over there. Yeah, <laughs> just off off camera. Uh, Justin, great to speak to you, mate. Um, that's true. Love to catch up to you uh, down the track and talk coaching with you. Uh, it's really fascinating Absolutely. and uh, one of the best coaches who played anyway. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> there is Justin Harrison joining us on Rugger Matrix International. Uh, we'll be uh, getting one more show in before the uh, third test. Uh, we'll have full coverage with Mark Cashman finally uh, after the game on Saturday night. Uh, thanks for all your feedback. Thanks for joining us on the road trip as well. It's been a lot of fun. And we'll be back uh, later in the week with our final word on the Lions series. See you then.